Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, welcome to the show, folks. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. You guys are the greatest audience in the world, and if anyone tells you you're not, they're lying to you. Fake news. Anyway, guys, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to give the show great reviews on iTunes, you know, Google Play, Spotify, Radio, all, all the different. There's like 20 billion places you can get the com on the syndications. So be sure to check those out. You can go to thecvpn.com or chrisvosspodcastnetwork.com. And there's like seven podcasts there so as well. Once again, we have, the, of course, not only on the greatest show, the greatest guests, we have today Stephen Kuhn. He's a decorated United States Army combat veteran. He's also a speaker and an author. He's got a forthcoming book coming out soon here. He's also a consultant who helps individuals dramatically improve their quality of life through the consistent, conscious application of honesty, integrity, and transparency. Boy, could we use some, uh, can he help some of our politicians? Stephen and his uh, team help leaders increase and scale their existing influence through the mastering, the art of relational capital through hit honesty, integrity, and transparency. I don't know why that's associated with violence, but <laughs> I'm just kidding, Stephen. Stephen's hit philosophy unleashes your inner uh, authenticity, increases revenue, and supercharges your mindset to wield influence. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you so much. What an intro. Honor to be here. There you go, man. Honesty, integrity, and transparency. And if there's any age where we need more of this taught to more people, it's now. <laughs> I agree. It's it's funny you mentioned politicians. I actually work with a few in Germany. Good. Uh, yeah. We need you to come to the United States. But uh, so you got a forthcoming book, I believe, that's coming out in November. Give us some of your plugs so people can start looking you up on the inner tubes. Sure thing. So the book is coming out. It's, there's nothing on the inner interwebs yet about that, but it's called The Humble Alpha Leader, and it's about it's it's a five step program which is designed to take a leader and their senior direct reports from their current level of performance to a high performing laser focused team and to living a quality of life with certainty in everything they do. Now, the certainty part is important because that's where you know you, you can let go of the how, and it just happens. Um, that'll be coming out soon. You'll be able to find everything on my website, stephen Um, And you can find me on Twitter, Stephen E. Kuhn, uh, Facebook, Stephen Kuhn Official. Just put in Stephen Eugene Kuhn, Stephen Kuhn, you'll find me everywhere. There's, there's two Stephen Kuhns on the Internet that are found, and one of them's a jazz musician. That's not me. <laughs> that's always tough steven-coon.com check it out i had one client who is the uh he shares the name with the bassist who from uh, uh jimmy hendrix like oh. you want to talk about a google c seo fight that's a it's a brutal yeah. one well i was a, oh there's also another Stephen coon who's a professor at uh, georgetown that's right yeah and uh i got i literally got invited to a, a dinner in munich uh one time with this mm strange woman who met me on the online or somewhere. I think it was a small world. It was an old community. And uh, I went to her house and they thought I was this professor. And I'm sitting there talking with all of her guests. And I'm thinking, why am I even invited here? I thought she just was, you know, yeah. hooking up with me. And, and when the, the dinner immediately ended when they found that I wasn't the professor. It was crazy. How uncomfortable was that? I, I get that all the time. I, I am competing with somebody else who also has the Chris Voss. And I just picked up a third who's like an SNL writer, producer, director. Uh. So I'm ready to shoot myself in the face right now. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I have more followers than either of them, so I've got wow. that coming for me. But I, I get their emails and their calls because I own everything Chris Voss, except for chrisvoss.com. Uh. And uh, 
Uh, yeah, so there's that. So let's talk more about you. You're a speaker. You you do all these different products. You've got the last goal setting course. You do consulting, coaching for right. people. I'm looking at your website. You got this uh, really cool graphic of all the different speaking and events you've done and stuff like that. Uh, so so tell us more about who you are. Uh, and we can talk, probably talk about the principle here down the road. But give us right. give us kind of lay of the land of who you are, how you got here, why you got here, why you do what you do. Okay. Well, it, I, I think it's. It, 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 you know, it begs to tell the story of how I got to Europe, which is where I live now. Mm. And so I've, uh, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania <clears throat> and central Pennsylvania. We well, like to call it. why you left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just, wow, that's I exactly just one of the reasons Kentucky. why. Yeah, you just left. Wow. <laughs> Do they even have electricity radios there? Yeah. No, just, Back then they didn't. No, of course wow. not. No. I'm not and, sure. Uh, <laughs> The mobile home was uh, flickering at night. We had the, oh, you know, geez, wow. the uh, <laughs> no. So I, I left literally ten days after high school. I joined the army, and when I when I was in boot camp, see, I hated myself in high school. I was I tried every sport, and I was sucked at every single one. Was this the deer was, hunter story you're telling? No, 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 no. Close. It could be. <laughs> wasn't actually. that Pittsburgh? The, the deer yeah, it was Pittsburgh actually. No, Steelton, wasn't it? Steelton. I, I'm not sure. It was Steelton. Yeah, like Pittsburgh somewhere. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's almost as Steelton's like a mini as Pittsburgh. Long as you didn't go to Nam. I know you're not ripping off this story. Didn't go to Nam. Didn't go to Nam. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're not pulling a yeah. bind on me. No, 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 no. A bind. No, no. I. Uh, so I, you know, I, I just was horrible at everything I did, and I didn't like myself, and so I left for the army thinking that'd be fair. That'll help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And when I went to boot camp, I, you know, I was getting my head shaved. And as they were shaving my head, I, I decided, okay, this is a new me. I'm not going to go back. So you decided you, you didn't like yourself. And so you, you're like, I'm going to go into boot camp where I have a bunch of sergeants yelling at me about what a, you know, that whole thing from, uh, from uh, oh, I, I can't remember the movie. Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. I'm yeah. going to go there and that will improve my self-esteem. Was that? No, I, what I knew was that I needed uh, I needed a break. I needed yeah. something to break in me to to rebuild something. I mean, yeah. even back then, I knew that I, I needed some some kind of structure, support, something. Yeah. Um, so we had, you know, a childhood. My mother was. We moved quite often, put it that way. So very often, and um, so we never really caught footing anywhere. And I was always just trying to follow up. So I decided to go differently. Well, I joined the army. They sent me to Fort Knox. I did well in boot camp. Mm-hmm. They sent me to Germany. I ended up in the middle of Germany during the cold war, which was awesome. That's and it was, uh, we were on the, the wall era and stuff. Yes. It was amazing. So we got to stand there and watch Yvonne the terrible on the other side. And, you know, I thought I was going to end the cold war. So I was always there intently on the border and, you know, looking for reasons to tear were it down. That when, kind of stuff. Were you there when, uh, you know, Reagan came over and said, Gorbachev. Terrible. I was, but I wasn't in Berlin when he was there. Oh, wow. That's so, cool. yeah. so yeah. what what people, well, a lot of people don't realize is West Berlin was an island in the middle of Eastern Germany. Yeah. So it wasn't attached to West Germany. So you, you had to drive or fly over, drive through or fly over about 220 kilometers of Eastern Germany. So that means if you drove, you were searched, they followed you, they checked, you know, you name it. Wow. So, yeah. So either you were stationed there or you didn't really drive that much over there. I was in the West Germany part. I went to Berlin later, but during that time I didn't. And then um, I was sent to Iraq uh, for Operation Desert Storm. And there I learned a bunch about myself too uh, and decided it was time to get out. Mm-hmm. After, you know, I uh, started asking questions about, you know, why we were doing what we were doing, what drove me there and why, how I could do what I did, that kind of thing. So I, I ended up coming back to Germany, getting out and staying in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I got out in Germany uh, and I started out as a doorman at a club. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, well, I was guy, a tank. So you I was on, yeah, but I was on tanks. What else are you going to do in a foreign country? Yeah. Couldn't hardly speak the language. Yeah. You're a brawler. 
Yeah. You're an army brawler. I know those guys yeah. can back fit, man. They can keep. Yeah, some- well, well, we, we, well, you know, at night too, when you go out drinking and stuff and you know, whatever. So, you know, that's some long story. <laughs> well, I turned it. Told me those stories. Yeah. Well, it, it got worse because when I was a doorman at a club, everyone heard I was, a, I was a combat veteran and I had a bad attitude. I, I, you know, I PTSD to this day, but it's better than it was back then. No one knew what it was back then. This was in 1993. Yeah. And I just constantly, I just fought every night, one yeah. or two times, every single night, just, just fighting all the time. People come up and just want to fight with me. Yeah. And I indulged them. And, American. I don't know. Uh, no, I wasn't that. I was like, oh, you think you're tough? That kind of thing, you know. Uh-huh. And then, you know, I got my nose broken twice. My, I got my, my face kicked in, did, you know, desi- uh, detached retina. But, you, you know, you, you never fall. You keep going like an idiot. You know? So after that, I had a breakdown. Everything ended, uh, you know, and then I just built myself back up. And I started working in the corporate world, opened up my own cocktail bars, opened up health clubs, opened up my own club, all at the same time. <laughs> I got my MBA. I got my MBA in the UK. I'm springing over 10 years here. Got my MBA in the UK while I had the three cocktail bars in a club and was working for the corporation as a European operations director uh, for a British PLC with 87 locations, three and a half thousand employees. Wow. Um, and then in 2008, uh, you know, I was doing work with my twin brother in America who is a mortgage. Uh, we had a mortgage char- charter. Of course, you know, that all crashed. Yeah. I, I used to own a mortgage company for almost 20 years. Yeah, There you go. Well, we are using our, Massive amounts of money we were making from doing the non-docs. I'm sure you know what they are. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were starting to produce films in Hollywood. Oh, wow. So with, with our money, yeah. That's a great way to get write-offs. That's a great way to lose it all, too. Yeah, so uh, Get write-offs. <laughs> yeah, I'll get write-offs, yeah. That's exactly what we did. So, pond. Yeah, so we lost everything. And um, I lost everything. I was oh, in Germany so. still. I, and I ended up being homeless in 2008. Wow. So 11 years ago. Yeah. And so I went to a monastery. After a suicide attempt, I went to a monastery in, uh, in, in Austria and spent eight months there and came out the other side as a, the person I wanted to be. Nice. So since then, you know, been building upon that um, and just, uh, you know, doing some fantastic, amazing things. Traveled the world all, you know, for about 20 years, nine countries a month doing consulting. And I do turnaround. So I go in, fix a company that's broken, make immediate, immediate revenue, and then work on the, the, the infrastructure, the structure of the team, the culture, all that kind of stuff to get it. Uh, to, to get back in shape again that's fun stuff i've done yeah, that now one. now i only do it online so the last two years i'm only doing online there you and go. business exploded it literally wow. exploded because you know look i fly to spain first i gotta have dinner with them gotta have lunch with them gotta go golf, whatever that you know all that executive i call it bs that, that you got to do to warm up to the client well when you're when you have a video call so you have an hour mm-hmm. look we get an hour great to meet you let's get rolling and you know, we just, bop, 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 just knock it out. And then the intensity, the effectiveness, and, uh, you know, it just, it's just so much more than going there and, and waiting and goofing off and have a coffee. And I, I just, until you do it online yourself, you can't imagine. Because as an executive, you think you have to have your laptop. You'd be in the plane 24-7. You got to be moving around. You got to tie on the whole mm-hmm. works. Well, that's, that's all ended for me. And not only have I become a better consultant to this, because I have to be more effective, mm-hmm. but the results are just almost um, sometimes incredibly hard to believe. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Because, uh, you know, the thing I loved about becoming, you know, early on, I think it was 2008 when I joined Twitter in 2009, I was on my way to being whatever. Uh, And um, I loved it because I could start, I could, number one, I'd always own brick and mortar companies. So I'd always, um, you know, you had to get an office, you had to do the whole BS. And um, 
and I'd never been able to make money online. I never thought I would sell like international stuff like to other countries. I never right. thought it would open up. Of course, back in those days, you know, we had to negotiate like hell just to have U.S. long distance lines, let alone, you know, where you can, you know, now you got Skype and you can do all this stuff. And I used to love it because I could wake up from a hangover and be in my underwear on a Skype video. I'm in my underwear now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, do a consulting call, video, yeah. podcast, whatever. No one's in any way the wiser. And as soon as I get done, I crawl back in bed and be like, no, back yeah. But yeah. it's crazy. It's it's wonderful. You know? Well, and and, and it, it branches out into so many things. I mean, I have a podcast as well called The Hit Show. Obviously, Hit H I T. Um, and I do my consulting online. I do coaching online. Um, you know, just about anything. Uh, you know, I am doing live events still. Obviously, speaking and things like that. That's uh, that's something that I can't live without. I love having that impact. But the online. I mean, look, you have no cost, no overhead, no flights, no hotels. No, it, it's just it's ridiculous. You mm-hmm. can charge less give better results, you know, in, in you know, apply better results in less time. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a no brainer for anyone who tried. And it was hard for me because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. <laughs> Literally when, cause I came home and my kids at the time were two and three and they were started speaking to me coherently. And I was like, Whoa, when did that happen? <laughs> so I told my I wife, to I live, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I live in Budapest. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I live in Budapest and, um, uh, I know I said Germany, but I moved to Budapest in 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I told her, I said, I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not going back. I'm not getting on a plane ever again. I'm done. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I have no idea. So this is where um, my veteran status came to play is I went on Facebook and I looked for a veteran group of entrepreneurs. And there was a group called Vetpreneur. Mm-hmm. There was about 2,500 people in there. I just went in and started giving free advice on how to, you know, I do a class every single day for about 15 minutes on how to fix a part of your business, run your business, turn your business around, marketing, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It, caught, it caught on really quick. People started calling me to ask them if, if, if I could help them. And within three months, I made 100K. That's awesome. And I was, and I was like, wow, holy shit, you know, this, is, this could be a business. And then I, I did. I turned it into a business, and now I, I do more than veterans, obviously. But I've taken over that group. We now have 13,500 veterans in that group. Um, and I've helped one-on-one in the last two years – 250 of those veterans actually turn around their business. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's veterans, very rewarding. Cool. Very rewarding. Yeah. Very, very rewarding. Yeah, they're veterans, which is cool. Yeah. The, um, I, I'm always disappointed in how we don't support our veterans better and, and take care of them more. This West Virginia story that's going on right now is, is just breaking my heart. Um, I don't know if you've heard it, but, uh, it's a bit of a segue anyway. Uh, the, um, so you do team group mentoring, you do uh, on site in your office with a team. Of course you try and do it online now. Uh, business optimization modules. One of the things that I used to do back in the day when we had a lot of companies, um, we used to, we started doing loans where we would put in the paper. Uh, and I learned this from my uh, friends who were commercial real estate agents or commercial uh, business agents where they would, you know, buy and sell businesses as an agent to other people. But normally just like residential real estate, the people who steal all the best deals are the agents themselves because they have the inside knowledge and, the, and they know yeah. what's coming on the market. And there's a lot of companies that are cash poor but asset rich. And so you can clean them out, take them and whatever. And then we were building a lot of companies, but we, we had a, our management team, we just could not get beyond the two of us with a core third or whatever. And running three businesses, we just we just could not get out of it. So uh, my friends that were these business guys, they said, you know, what you should do is you run an ad to loan money 
and you'll shit your pants because they will send you their P&Ls. They'll send you everything that you need to know about their business that they would never give anyone else. And so, you know, we'd offer to a loaner invest money and you can literally cherry pick through it. And it was a really interesting experience because what I started finding was why um, entrepreneurs fail. And, and nine times out of 10, one of the problems I would see is they'd start a business with a, with a mission statement or whatever, and they would run that fucking thing into the ground until they hit bankruptcy. And only then till they would start going, well, maybe we should change this model. Yeah. Or ask for help. Yeah. And we would, I would go in, uh, we take a look at their businesses and sometimes, you know, I just, you just cherry pick. And so we'd find one that maybe was asset rich or, you know, so sometimes they could fold into our companies or other investments, or sometimes we would see something and be like, I th- we can turn that around. And I was really good at that. And so, uh, we'd see it and then I'd go in and they'd be, you know, I'd, I'd be like, Hey, you know, we'll take you over, but listen, we're going to give you 10 grand, but you got to get the fuck out because you're the problem. So that's it. You, you got to go. You're the fucking problem, but we'll give you 10 grand. You're going to walk from this. You're not going to file bankruptcy. Your credit's going to be fine. You're just going to be free to fucking go. Uh, you know, five grand, 10 grand, whatever it takes. You know, sometimes we just look at people and be like, dude, you are so fucked. Uh, we will just take the business over and let you walk. And then we'll just, we'll just, figure out the cash flow from our thing. And what's interesting is that nine times out of 10, they get really excited. Well, you own the bus. We must be worth something. And so I give them a first ride of refusal and I say, look, I'm the first guy you call, but do not wait until you're one day away from bankruptcy and fucking call me because I will not bail you out then. Yeah, you should need to do it now. They're like, no, we're going to try it for a few more months and they keep doing their thing. And son of a bitch, those guys that always call me day before bankruptcy. Hey, hey, we need that money now. We want to do it now. I'm like, fuck but they would just drive that thing into the ground. Yeah. And so you probably see that a lot in your, I do. I do. And, and you can see it in their messaging. You can see it in their, in their ads. You can sort of feel it when you talk to them that they're getting more and more desperate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I, I'm, I'm pretty good at reading the, reading the signs. So when someone calls me, they're like, yeah, you know, we're looking at a consultant, you know, playing the high road, right. Kind of thing. We're doing well and everything. And then I start asking them simple questions. They can't answer that. I know they're not doing well. What's your ROI? What's an ROI? (laughs) Oh, what's your gross margin? What's your net margin? You know, how's your cash what's flow? That kind of stuff. Yeah, you know. Um, and because, you know, if, if you're scaling a business really, really quick, you want to look at your, your gross margin. That's all you're worried about. But if you're in, in a sustainable business, you want to look at your net margin, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just those simple things that if they don't know that, then they don't know where they are at the time. Yeah. Um, and then you look at the costs. And it's just, you know, you're basically what you're talking about is around the model of buying companies with no money down, right? Yeah. It's basically you're saying first right of refusal, the whole works. Yeah, yeah. I have a buddy that does that in South America. He's hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of companies. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There's buys so no many, money down. There's just so many, I mean, we get so many calls and so many needs and we look at these people and their business models and we just be like, holy shit. Um, so business yeah. models. Well, it's usually not a model. It was like a, yeah, it's like, a business something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was amazing to me. Our first company we built for $2,000. Uh, it lasted 13 years. The only reason it ended was because I, I moved out of state and just didn't want to deal with the liability of, of, it was a delivery business. So there's a lot of liability right. with cars right. and stuff. Um, and then our mortgage company would still be alive today if it hadn't been for the, the mortgage meltdown. But, uh, 
Um, the what was my point about that? I lost my the, the 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 business models lack of. Oh, yeah. So our second company, I started with four thousand dollars. Both companies are turned into multi million dollar companies, and um, you know, we got profitable really quick, and because we could, you know, reinvest the money, we weren't paying on debt. Right. So. I remember one time I interviewed a guy who he got like 150 grand that somehow he got from, I don't know where he fucking got it, but it, you know, it was, it fell into his lap. And, uh, so he spent, he bought the most highest class, uh, mortgage rent per square foot office in the Valley. Right. And, you know, he had the fucking mirror granite walls or just, he had him, he had him stack this thing so deep and he's like, all the people come to work for me because it's so beautiful. And he was out of business in a year. <laughs> yeah, go figure. Go figure. Yeah. And I'm like, well, look, you... most 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 people. They, this is there's, there's two mistakes. People have money and they think money will make their business work. Okay. Number two is number two is they have a great idea and they don't have any any idea how to implement it. So they do it on their own by reading books and whatever instead of asking for help. I always say, if you want to go somewhere or be where someone is, then ask them how they got there. Mm-hmm. Ask somebody who's been there how to get there, and you'd be surprised. Every person I've ever asked for a little bit of mentorship has said yes. And I'm talking, I've asked people. Like, mm-hmm. I've, I mean, I worked for Mick Jagger, I worked for o- o- Olivia Newton John, I worked for Andrea Bocelli mm-hmm. by walking up to them saying, This is what I have to offer, this is what you need, this is why you need it, let's work together. And that was like my mentor. They paid me to be their, their mentors. That is they, awesome. They paid man. me, and they were my mentor. I learned from Mick Jagger. I learned from Olivia a lot from Olivia actually. And Andrea Bocelli, I learned so much from his wife, yeah. Veronica, who's the manager. <laughs> that probably, I, I'm glad I added the manager part because it might've came yeah. across wrong. Too bad you but were I, working with Mick Jagger back in the uh, studio 54 days in the 70s. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here if I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's, I was it's, actually, it was, that was nine, that was 1998 when I was with Mick and then Olivia was 2009 and uh, mm-hmm. Bocelli was 16, 17. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's great. Um, she's amazing. The, uh, I grew up in the nineties with her and, uh, you know, she had the big songs and, and, uh, the disco era and stuff. Yeah. She was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And Greece. That's good physical. But, yeah. uh, yeah, that was a great song, wasn't it? Um, yeah. The, I think I think it was a teenager at that time, so that was a great song for me. I'm like yeah. using this to pick up chicks, or something. I don't know, play yeah. car and dates. But uh, it's interesting how many people. I mean, you really until you really see this from the point of view you and I have seen it from the back end with all these different companies. You get to consult and see their P and Ls and what they're doing. Uh, and like I, I would say to people, "What's your burn rate?" And they're like, "What's a burn rate?" And you're like, "You're operating the negative, and I don't know where your cash flow is coming." But, uh, you know, <laughs> how, how soon before you run out Cause yeah. it tells us where, you know, you're going to hit the wall. Yeah. It's, there's a, you know, there's a, there's something to say about intestinal fortitude to run a business and to, to drive it hard. But there's also yeah. something to say that, to know when you got to ask for help. Yeah. You know, and help doesn't always cost. Yeah. Typically it will, typically it will. And it, it should, you know, that's, I mean, that's why it's there. Uh, but it, it's just the pride, especially sometimes in, let's say, the veteran space. You know, I can do this. I was in a war. I can do this. You know, that kind of thing. And the the hardest part for me is when I talk to people, you know their situation. You know where they are. You know they're in dire needs, but they won't, they will yeah. not get off their horse and say, look, help me. Until, just, they, until they hit the horse. Until the horse breaks its legs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, and, and, and it's a shame. And it's, it's a shame. I mean, I've literally pushed myself on people like, I know where you are, brother. I know exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be here in about six months if you don't move now. Yep. Uh, how can you I know to, that? 
I used to tell people the same thing when I pay them 10 bucks and give them a first ride refusal to sign. I'd be like, look, don't be the guy who everybody is who calls me at the last second and activates this. You should be doing this now from what I'm seeing. The, The biggest thing they always hated was we would always say, we you have to leave the company because you are the problem you are the you are the thing killing you you just you need to go back to mcdonald's that's kind of where you need to go i've been really ugly to people over the years if i really determine that they have no business being an entrepreneur there's some people that they just don't have the brains for it or they just haven't developed the brains for it I don't know. I, I just think everyone can learn. Not everyone can be at the highest level, but I think everyone can learn or be taught. But like I said, a lot of people don't want to, to learn. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they want to do it on their own. And it's, and it's not necessarily only ego. It's desperation sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's trying to prove something to themselves or their family or their mother or the internal voice that they have. Yeah. You know, there's so many different ways. So I, that's why we work on, on the, let's say, the interpersonal side as well. Because if we look at this world that we're in, once we realize that every time we're irritated, pissed off, upset to the outside, that's us being upset at our thoughts about what's going on. It's not actually what's going on that's upsetting us. It's our thoughts that are upsetting us. So when you realize that it's my thoughts that are upsetting me, then I can change those thoughts and I won't be upset anymore. Then you can focus on, on, on reality and what's going on. Yeah. So that's sort, that's sort of what I work with a lot, with a lot of people, clients, people. That I, I spend a lot of time pro bono, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, working with people getting their heads straight so they could understand exactly what's, what's going on for real and that their ego's in the way and that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's super rewarding personally. Um, and that also gets me, I mean, I had a woman the other day who, who, who called me and wants to be a client and she said, the reason I chose you is because you, you talk a bit about spirituality and about the internal inside out. And you talk about, uh, you know, quantum physics, but you do it in a business form and you actually proven that it works. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, she said, you're not woo woo, but you talk a little woo woo. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I thought, I thought it was quite, quite, quite interesting because it's exactly how it is. We sort of, and that's what the humble alpha program is. The humble yeah. alpha leadership program is, yeah. it's uh, it, it literally helps you find your identity first. Let's face it. How many CEOs do you know that are this powerful CEO and you know them as the CEO of, What's his name? He's the CEO of Exxon. What's his name? What's his name? You know what I mean? Like, like that's what you're always saying because their mm-hmm. identity is not them. Their identity mm-hmm. is that position, is mm-hmm. the CEO, is the manager, is the leader. Mm-hmm. And that means that they're not dominating in their entire life. They're only dominating in that one space. Mm-hmm. Well, what we do is we, we, we teach them and we, we, we lead them to their own identity, to, to purpose, through certainty. And what that does is allow them to dominate in any space, opening up the doors to just massive amounts of opportunity that you've never seen. I've done it myself. Yeah. This, is, this, this, this all comes from my life experience and my partner, Lane Ballone, his, his experience. So it's a, it's a fantastic program where we, we've already started testing the program. The book's coming out right after that in November. The book's approved. It'll be the, the book will be the program proven. So it'll be, it's a five stage program. Anyone, anyone can read the book and go through it. And if they want to take the program, they get in contact with us. and Off we go. Awesome sauce. Yeah. So let's talk yeah. about the hit. Honesty, integrity, yep. and transparency breeds true authenticity. I love this. Yes, indeed. Well, let's, let me give the definition first of hit. Honesty is being true to who you are and how you live, to yourself first. And transparency is communicating your honesty for anyone to observe, mm-hmm. whether it's now, how we're talking on video, and you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And integrity is the result of your ongoing reputation, and it's the byproduct of honesty and transparency. So mm-hmm. be honest with yourself. You're transparent about the way, who you are and why you are. The result is integrity. That makes you authentic, of course. And that mm-hmm. word is overused, but you can't be authentic without, you know, authenticity is, 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 
the result of your actions and who you are and how you are and how you talk and things mm-hmm. like that. And you know, because when you're authentic, sorry, sorry, when you're authentic, you can literally dictate your market value. I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Uh, and when you dictate your own market value, you get you get opportunities that many people don't get, and that puts you in situations where you can build influence, rela- invest in relational capital, building influence, and so on and so forth. So yeah, that's how that works. In the in the social media space that I kind yeah. of uh, reinvented myself in with Twitter, and you know, uh, I share I'm on a lot of lists with a lot of people that are successful in social media and writing books and you know speaking things like that, and. Uh, uh, some preach authenticity, but I know them personally and know that it's a complete yeah. farce. Um, and then, uh, there are other people who are completely authentic and, uh, and largely see through. I like to think I am, people tell me I am, uh, and I try to be honest, uh, and integrity is super important to me. Ethics are a super important thing. And I try as hard as I can to do that. But I find, you know, I've had, I've had some of my social media friends come to me and they go, I don't want people to know certain things about me. And I'm like, well, that you really can't be authentic. I mean, you've got to either open up and, and uh, show the world who you are, or if you're hiding shit, well, it's not very honest. Well, there's, there's a saying, saying transparency and honesty to the degree that every situation dictates. Yeah. So where everyone has a win-win, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't mean you lie. You never lie, of course. And, uh, you know, like I, I don't talk about my intimate things with my wife and things like that. Well, sometimes, but sure. not very often, you know, things like that. And there's certain things that just don't, don't fit in a conversation. Now in today's world, everyone wants you to say something so they could find something on you. Um, so that's, that's, that's why people are sort of, you know, gearing down and not having, you know, this, this, they're they're scared to be transparent. You know, today's world, everyone's like wants to follow a trend because they're trying to be someone else or through somebody else. And they're not living their true life, man. And they don't, they just don't know who you are. And you look at these people, who are these people? If you live hit, it literally allows you to dig through all those layers and just be who you are with no fear. And I'll tell you why. Because when you operate from the core principles of HIT, you're operating from the inside out. And that means everything that you're doing is based on you, your identity, and your purpose. Mm-hmm. And nothing on the outside can change that. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what people say. They can try to interject and try to misinterpret, but it doesn't matter because you know it's coming from here. And just that energy, just that presence of mind to have, the, you can say what you want, it doesn't even bother me. That right there, that, 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 that blows away any critics. It just blows them away. They have no chance. It's like hitting a steel wall. That's, and that's, that's a system that I've used from the very beginning. Fortunately, yeah. I got trained about ethics. I took some really good ethics courses being a, uh, being a real estate agent. Every year they put us into an ethics class, and I learned a lot of really cool ethics stuff uh, and uh, different levels of, of ethics. And, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I, honesty is a huge thing for me. I grew up with a challenged childhood, and so – Honestly, trust is like huge for me. I, you know, being gaslit by someone who lies is like, yeah. that really sets me off, which makes it hard to live in today's political world. But um, <laughs> honestly, it makes all the difference, uh, you know. And well, most of my social media people, they kind of have this veneer, not most, uh, a lot of them have this veneer of like, they never share anything beyond a certain wall. Right. I've shared pretty much everything, I think, at this point now. Um, and, uh, between, and what's interesting has been the experience of me sharing that people have gone, Chris is really freaking human. This is a really human being. And by them, by them being able to see that there is no veneer in all the different ways that I've exposed myself and and been authentic, people, it, 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 people can't really come at me. They can't come at me and be exactly. like, Exactly, that's the whole this. point. 
Hit, yeah. look, the hit doesn't change who you are. It reveals your most authentic version of yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool yeah. thing about it. And when I talk about honesty, the hardest part of honesty is being honest with yourself. Yeah. I mean, we lie. People lie all the time. Mm-hmm. The more you lie, the more you're you know, desensitized, desensitized to lying. Mm-hmm. And the more natural it becomes. As a matter of fact, your brain's so wired to either tell the truth or to lie. And, you know, we, so in our, and our brain gets wired by our actions. So if we tell the truth all the time, that's how our brain's wired. Yeah. We lie all the time. And I mean to ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's how our brain is wired. So naturally, your body wants to be honest. Your body is also adaptive if you continue to lie. <laughs> so if you lie all the time, and it's just little lies like, yeah, no, I've never done that, or I, I don't do this. Or, Next yeah. thing you know, you believe it yourself. Yeah. And then, then, then you're really being disingenuous because you're believing what you're saying, and it's not even true. Yeah. My biggest people, problem is I'm so lazy I can't remember what I lie about. So like yeah. if my girlfriend goes, try it. you know, oh, wait, I thought you said you weren't at the bar. You were with your friends on Friday, but now you just said you're at the bar. I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot my story. I was with my friends at the bar. Yeah, but what's interesting <laughs> is my friends who preached and written books on authenticity and haven't been and been busted, uh, it's pretty bad when they get busted. And so... Um, the, the, one of the great benefits of being authentic and open and opening up your life and, and trying to be as honest and transparent as you possibly can and operate with integrity is you have, you help a lot of other people who are struggling with it. Like one of the things I, I opened up about, uh, my dog's death, my, my death of relatives. Um, I went through about 27 years where no one around me died. And I literally, I, I got to be honest, I was starting to feel like I was immortal. And my dogs are immortal. Wow. We're gonna live. I mean, I, I knew we were going to live forever. I wasn't that delusional. But yeah, yeah, just, I know what you mean. just felt immortal. Yeah. And no one died around me that I loved. No one for like 27 years. I, I flew with just this wonderful, no relationship with death. And then one day my dog died of a seizure uh, at, three, at four, uh, 14 years old or something. Just, and, and it was, I knew, I, I knew it was going to be a seizure. She had him for a few years. I had the warnings. I knew time was coming, but I didn't right. realize that in one half an hour, we would go through a ha- happy moments to she's gone. I didn't get to say goodbye. Yeah. And so I bled that out online uh, through my Facebook and, and right. Twitter and shared it. And the benefit of that was I didn't realize by being authentic and sharing that pain and that tragedy and the journey through that and after that of healing, uh, there were so many people that wrote me crying going, you know, you're bleeding that out online and your emotional response to that uh, made me realize that I didn't have closure with my dad's death or my dog's death. I hadn't ever gotten closure and watching you go through that crucifixion of yourself, that helped me. And, and that's the whole point about honesty. Yeah. Honesty is vital to growth. Yeah. Without honesty, you will never grow. And I then probably, you just gave the perfect example of how you grew emotionally in that moment yeah. and how you helped others grow in that moment. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's incredible what honesty can do. People think honesty means oh, I screwed up. Now I have to tell the truth. Yeah. We're not talking about that. That's called owning your shit. <laughs> right. And that's, you know what I mean? That's, that's where integrity comes in. Yeah. Integrity doesn't mean you got to be perfect. Integrity means when you're not perfect, you own it. Yeah. Right. And what's nice too is I've fallen down and admit my mistakes. I've come out about stuff that uh, happened in my childhood, and uh, and owned it. And it's built this reputation around me where I'm honest, or people perceive me as being honest, integrable, and transparent. Um, and and uh, I lost my point there. Basically, basically they just go, 
you know, Chris makes mistakes. He's not a perfect human being, but the beautiful thing about Chris, he doesn't walk around fucking think, you know, acting yeah. and thinking like he's the perfect, you know, like he just came down from the sky for us up the you know, mount, whatever. Yeah. But um, it's because it's because you know who you are and actually honestly motivates us to become the best version of ourselves. And once you know the best version of yourselves, you don't need to put it out there because people see it and it's yeah. for real. You're not pretending. And that's the whole thing by being honest with yep. ourselves. We bring light to the bad and only then can we change it to our best self. Yep. And when we change it to our best self, honesty equals reliability because mm-hmm. you're always known to be honest. You don't have to explain yep. anything. I mean, it's so incredible. Yeah, my audience and my fan base and, you know, my close, my friends on Facebook, uh, they let me fail because they, you know, when I fail, it's not like, oh my God, Chris failed and it makes the news, you know? No, everyone's like, yeah, we've seen, you know, Chris fall and he's honest about it and he's human. And, you know, I've had people tell me that they hate me, they don't like me for either politics posts that I do or things that I've said or positions I take on culture and stuff. Right. I've had people say, or sometimes they just, maybe they just hate me because they're jealous or whatever, but I've had people and we, you know, I catch them online talking about me sometimes between friends yeah. and I've had people just say, you know, I, Chris is an idiot, but I watch him because, you know, I want to see, he's going to tell me when he hits the wall. I want to see him. Yeah. The well, you know, if we're sticking on honesty again too, is that it, it, it your whole day is easier. You have less stress, less anxiety, oh, yeah. less shame, you know, stress of decreased performance. I mean, the whole thing, because when you're lying, like you said, it's a complete distraction. Yeah. And, and I mean lying so to yourself. Back and I mean lying to yourself is mm-hmm. what I'm talking about first yeah. and foremost. You know, that's the hardest part to get over because we can always justify, well, I better do this because then I have to have that. Well, I have to do this because if I don't, then that won't happen. Yeah. So we're always justifying it. If we get over that, you're, it's like cracking a shell and, and you have like 10% of your day, 20% of your day is suddenly freed up because <laughs> yeah. well, you're worrying about what did I say? Who did I say? Who can I talk to? Who can I talk to? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And it just, it becomes so much freaking work. Like, yeah. you know, I've, I've had friends that, you know, between dating or wives or relationships, you know, they're constantly lying to their girlfriend about what they're up to or wife. And I'm just like, dude, do you ever look at all the work that you put in? And you know, I, uh, long time prior to the occupant of the White House, I had two friends, and I, I kind of treated them like mentally challenged people. And I was just like, you know, I'm going to love you for who you are, but you're you're seriously broken, and I'm just going to try and smile and accept you. But they were pathological, narcissistic liars uh, to the degree that we have in the White House. I mean, just like everything. And it was interesting to be their friend because I couldn't believe anything they said. I mean, their, their lives were so extraordinary, like beyond, and, but they would get people to believe them. But one of their patterns was, is they repeat their lies. And well, of course they do. They have to, they have to believe it. Yeah. And they would, they would repeat them over and over again, ad nauseum until like, sometimes I'm like, dude, just shut up, man. But other people would buy it. But was it, they, they built lives, the two of them that were such a card, uh, poker stack of just lie stacked upon lie upon lie. And then it would become this complex tree of lies that if you were to ever pull that one card out on the bottom, like the whole thing, just, yeah, unfortunately that's how a lot of people live, but it's, it's out of desperation. It's out of, they don't know why that's what our society sort of teaches. You gotta be like this. You gotta be like that. Well, let's look at society. You know, society teaches it. You gotta do this to to be that you have to do this to be successful. You have to look like this, act like this, buy this, you know, that kind of shit. But when it comes to transparency, 
yeah, you know, transparency is cool because transparency is communicating the honesty, right? Like I said, and so be transparent. People can actually observe your honesty. Yeah. Not, and, and like you said, not just your words, but your actions. And, you yeah. know, you have nothing to hide. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it's the higher level of re- transparency results in building of trust at rapid speed. People are more apt to help you in your efforts when they trust you because mm-hmm. they can see your honesty is actually not just something you say, but it's what you li- do and how you live. And I mean, it also helps everyone around you make better and faster decisions and allows everyone to connect with you in a more organic way because there's, there's no walls. There's no bad energy. You're not trying to yeah. I- I- manipulate or leverage. It's incredible. And I think our world teaches you to lie. Like of course when, I do. You, when you go in for a job interview, you put all sorts of yep. stupid stuff on your, in your job interview resume that, like whatever and of course it doesn't help the jobs come to you and be like you need to have like really good i don't know there's there's some videos i've seen that are really funny where they do a parody where they're like what does that actually mean that you're requesting and uh you know the hr person is stumped uh our politicians of course we have this open agreement between our politicians that we expect them to lie to us and they lie to us and somehow we let that be okay and of course now we've you know somebody went Oh, really? That's the deal? Well, let's take that till 10. Um, the, uh, you, know, I, you know, I've had people say, and I kind of grew up in a world where I was like, don't tell people you really are. Don't share, yeah, of course. Don't of course share that personal stuff because, yeah. you know, that can be, you know, no one really wants to know who you well, are. When the vibrations you, are on the rise, man. Yeah, the vibrations yeah. are on the rise. More and more people are coming to the, to the, to the realization you can't live like that. And, that, and if so. you do, you're, you're, you're carrying everything on your shoulders. Why? You know, I you can live so. a life of freedom, yeah. complete freedom on your brain. It, it, believe me, it's happening. I could go into an entire, I and mean, there's a meeting in India in January with all the Swamis mm-hmm. and the Dalai Lama where I'm on a delegation and it's about a complete yeah. new form of commerce that's going to change the world. And not to mention the, the Humble Alpha Leader Program, which is going to change the face of, of, of leadership. I've only touched on, on it a little bit. Yeah. We're joint venturing with massive, massive companies, massive personalities to make this real and tangible and not just a book or a program. I mean, there's, there's yeah. impact, there's impact out there that's going to be massive. In America, something different's happening. People are looking at the leader of the free world and going, oh, we don't have to pay vendors and we can just rip people off and we can cut corners and we can just lie our way to the thing. It's actually influencing a whole new attitude in our culture. And we're mm-hmm. seeing that in business. We're seeing a lot of ghosting. We're seeing, um, just more like, uh, you know, you, 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 you screw everybody and get mine sort of attitudes. And, and, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it all comes out, but this is well, one of the reasons you, I'm big on this hit. And thing. this is, this is, this is probably going to hit home for a lot of people is you attract what you put out. Yeah. So you get back what you put out. So if I'm looking for that, I was all oh, then these guys are ripping me off, ripping me off. Cause I had the same thing. We were doing, uh, um, e-commerce products from Germany to America. We sold like 30, $40 million worth of product. Mm-hmm. And of course we're chasing that money still to this day. Uh, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's because we attracted that because we're like, Oh, we can't trust anybody. Competitive mindset, mistrust, trust. That's, mm-hmm. that's a scarcity mindset. Scarcity. I was just going to yeah. say, yeah. when you have a scarcity mindset, that's what you attract. So when yeah. you're abundant, it doesn't matter. And then you attract, yeah. I mean, i I work with people. I cannot believe how honest and transparent they are with me. And I, and I can't believe how they invite you in to, Hey, help us work with us here. Take my money. You know, and, and, and that's because that's how I live 100% as much as I can. Yeah. And of course, you know, we always fall off. Everyone falls off the horse. But like I said, integrity, uh, when you have it, when you fall off the horse, you say, look, okay, I fell off the horse. I screwed up. I fucked up. I'm getting back on the horse again. Let's roll. Yeah. And everyone's cool with that. Yeah. It's just when you try to hide it. Well, no, I, I never, I only, I, 
I puffed but didn't inhale, or maybe I did inhale. You know, it's, <laughs> it just keeps going on. I never had sexual relations with it. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, so yeah. just fess up, man. Own it. Own right? it. I mean, you yeah. look at you look at. I mean, I don't want to get into politics, but you you look at the. Uh, and I saw this with my other two friends too. That that one lie would just create so much drama and so much problems. Yep. And if they just would have went for the truth, they would have killed it. You know, a lot yeah. of even politicians know that sometimes you just fess up to it and that kills yeah. the story that kills yeah. the thing you beat it to the, the deal. But you know, being honest all the time is so easy. I never have to remember anything <laughs> I lie about. Um, I never have to, you know, sit and go like, what was my story last week on that? Um, and I've seen, I, like I said, I, I saw my two friends that were just super pathological. Like nothing they said was truthful. Like if they told you that they woke up that morning, you'd be like, I'm not really sure. Like if they told you uh, the sun came up today, you're like, I better double check that. <laughs> that that's how much they lied. And they wouldn't tell like stupid lies. They tell like grandiose lies. Like, yeah. Just grandiose shit that you would just be like. It's like cognitive, cognitive dissonance yeah. to the reality because they need to create this fake reality in order to feel, yeah. you know, sort of in a certain way or say, yeah. you know, it's one of, the, one of the six essential human needs is significance. Yeah. And there's two ways to feel significance. One is to put others down and one is to actually do something that no one's ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see how most people put, put people down and they do that also by lying and building themselves up to put other, mm-hmm. other people look lower, that kind of thing. But, you know, in this world of growing, this growing world of fakers and distrustful people living by hit it really allows you to live in the world effortlessly because you shield yourself from that pool of people automatically they don't even they won't even talk to you or they'll shy away or they'll embrace completely what you do and fall at your feet and, and want you to help them you know i just they, realized you know, too that came to me uh both of them were ceos and they were yeah. using that dissemination to be a leader so yeah. that was their leadership uh what's the word i'm yeah. looking for their leadership principles uh, core principles <laughs> And so that was how they were maintained. And they would, you know, they would fill themselves surrounded by these dupes that would actually believe all this BS they would do. I remember one, one gal, uh, who's one of them. She, she told people that she'd been on seven Vogue covers and not even Giselle has been on seven Vogue covers. She might, she might've been now, but this is like 20 years ago. And, um, and the lie was so obvious. I mean, it was so, you, you, you could go on, you know, you could Google it and find out. Um, and I think she'd been on once on Vogue. Uh, but the lies were just so crazy and expansive. But now I, it just occurred to me they were using that as a leadership sort of uh, mechanic, method, mantra, whatever. And they were using that to hold power, which is weird because they own their companies. Like, why do you need to hold yeah. power if you're the CEO and you own most of the shares of your company? Significance. Again, significance. I mean, there's only six essential human needs. When you realize um, the six essential human needs are the basis for every single problem mm-hmm. um, in the world, it makes your decision-making process really, really simple. I think you got a book there, man. Well, you know, the six essential human needs um, are were originally put together by Chloe Madonis. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony Robbins uses them too. And the first one is certainty and comfort. So we all need to feel safe, avoid pain, feel comfortable in our environment and in our relationships. The right? second so that's one's Mexican food and spaghetti, right? Right, exactly. You know? <laughs> the second one's uncertainty and variety, right? So everyone needs some variety in life. Our bodies, our minds, our emotional well-being require certain exercise, suspense, surprise. We need that. That's what I keep telling my wife and girlfriend. <laughs> oh, <laughs> And then um, significance, of course, like I said, we need to feel important. And those first three 
um, sorry, four, I haven't mentioned the fourth one yet, it's per, is a personality need. So mm-hmm. love and connection, everyone needs love and connection. Matter of fact, babies die if they don't have it. That's true. And, this, and the last That's two are needs of the spirit. And one is growth. We, we, when we stop growing, we die. We need to constantly develop emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. We have to. Anything that you want to remain, and you know, anything you want to remain in your life, whether it's money or your health or your relationship or your happiness or love, has to be cultivated. Unfortunately, we use food and sugar to keep growing. So that's part of it. That's part of it. You know, <laughs> I'm going to work on growing a different way. <laughs> and then the sixth one is, of course, contribution to go beyond your own needs and give to others. Yeah. You know, so they're they're literally it's boiled down. When I look at any situation, when I look at any problem with a single human being, I can choose one of those six things. Really? Yeah. Wow, I just and learned typically, and typically, well, look at it. Look, look at the list. Look it up. Six essential human needs. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to say to yourself, the next time someone's acting in a strange way, you're like, what is this person missing? They need some love? They need significance? Maybe, maybe, maybe they need both. both. Maybe they just need variety. They've been sitting on the computer for six days straight. You know, what is it that they need? And when you're in a leadership position and you know these six essential human needs, um, you can literally walk up to your staff and make them feel fantastic within seconds because you give them exactly what they need. Hmm. It's all, um, it's get over the relationships too. You can, you can look at your uh, yeah. relationships, whether being a leader in your business, your employees, your um, wife, your, your girlfriend, your mistress, your mistress <laughs> and your wife and the other mistress. Um, <laughs> Whatever works for you, kids. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, this is really insightful. I, I got to tell you, I'm loving this, Stephen. Great. I love the hit. I love the um, significant thing. I'm actually going to go Google that after the show, right after you should be going to stephen-coon.com. I should plug. Um, but after you go there, go, you know, search for the significance thing. But yeah, I mean, that's going to, maybe that'll help me deal with some of the gaslighting in my world. Just being aware of what gaslighting was. I just became aware of that just a few years ago. Uh, I'd always, all my life, I'd been triggered by people who would lie to me and, yeah. and it wasn't a pretty trigger. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so this rage would come out of me, which wasn't healthy for anybody, especially if you were the one who triggered me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so I, I really struggled with it, but now I kind of have a different way to approach it where I can be like, why is this person trying to be significant? And, uh. But you also to look at why you're triggered, because like I said in the beginning, when we realize that we're only triggered by our own thoughts yeah. about what's happening and not what's happening. Yeah. So why am I reacting that way to that person? Mm-hmm. Why, am I, why, why do I hear this thing and it actually really makes me mad, but when I hear it over here from somebody else, it doesn't affect me at all. What is the problem here? You yeah. know, what's going on with, inside of me? And often, um, there's a book, you got to listen to it, Michael Neal, mm-hmm. The Inside Out Revolution. Mm. It's an audio book. It's like three hours. It's like a deprogramming. Mm. The Inside Out Revolution, Michael Neal. It's incredible. I, all of my clients, every single one of my clients, it's like um, mandatory reading. Awesome. Right? Yeah. Michael Neal, N-E-I-L-L, The Inside Out Revolution. Uh, and that, that shows you how you can change your entire world with a decision. Mm. With one decision. Just stop thinking that way. Mm. Like I know it sounds simple, knock right? It it's off. really difficult. Yeah, knock it off. Exactly. Stop thinking that way. And and I'll tell you what, when you were talking about politics before, uh, Trump, not Trump, Hillary, not Hillary, who gives a damn, right? It's like, I, I you know, we're not going to change it from our position. We're not. And we're not going to change it arguing online and, and Twitter and hating each other and poking each other and blocking each other. That's not going to help, right? Yeah. What's going to help is me knowing what I'm going to do in my world to create influence enough to make the change that I can see that will affect my world around me, and that will have a ripple effect of radiant value that will carry itself outward. And we can only do effective change 
with positivity and not with negativity. Yeah. And that's where I see that's where I see the problem with the press now, left, right, front, and center. It doesn't matter. It's all negative. It's all like, negative. I like the ripple speech by Robert F. Kennedy. That's one of the most inspiring inspiring things that uh, I've ever done. The, the ripple of hope speech. I don't yeah. know if you ever heard yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's oh, wonderful yeah. in South Africa. And there's a there's a couple key parts in it that I've I've given to some of my executive friends on. Uh, on plaques and, and uh, pictures and stuff. But, uh, you know, the ripple of hope, the fact that we can uh, enact positive change. For me, the journey was, uh, I, I, you know, I reached a point of being triggered by gaslighting to an umpteenth level in 2015, and then 16 made it worse. And then my friend went, you're being gaslit, Chris. I'm like, what the, you know, I was about ready to punch him in the face. What does that mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he explained it to me. And I'm like, Okay, and that helped me manage a little bit better. And then I had to go on the journey as to all the way back to my childhood as to why this was such a problem for me and why it triggered me so much. So I had to I had to resolve those issues and square that circle or circle that square. One of the two. <laughs> I like a circle yeah. to square better. Um, yeah. It just I like a circle. Fuck squares. Um, they have corners. You can hurt yourself on them. But no, I went through that whole journey, and now I'm now I'm quite a bit better at. Well, we have uh, we do a we do a retreat every year in Peru um, mm-hmm. in Cusco, and we hit Machu Picchu and stuff like that. But we work with the um, Quechua tribe, which is the last um, descendants of the Inca Empire. Mm-hmm. There's only 800 of them left. Holy crap! And, and yeah, we, we we work with them, and we work with the plant medicine ayahuasca in San Pedro. Mm-hmm. To a, but we do it in a way to create to find identity to find purpose and create certainty in your life. Mm-hmm. And we, we purge all of that negativity. We purge all of those things. And we're, we do it with business leaders. Mm-hmm. So here you are with executives, right, in like a retreat in this in like bush huts and everything with the Indians and, you know, the indigenous people, excuse me if that's not politically correct. I, I live in Europe. I don't know. Um, you know, the, the indigenous tribe of the Keshua tribe. Yeah. Uh, and these guys are like showing up the first day going, what in the hell? is this where's the four-star hotel nope that's a hut right over there that's where you're staying and after two or three days they're just like i I never knew this existed in me yeah like they find people inside of themselves and they go back and they explode and excel because they turned all that negativity away and made it only positive according to their identity and their purpose and that identity and once you have identity through purpose you have that certainty and certainty has one key um, element in it that makes your world so much easier. And that is once you know, and you're certain that whatever it is that you want will happen, mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about how it's going to happen. Yeah. You just operate on a proper moral compass. This, in this case of hit, and it will happen. doesn't even matter how yeah. if you're certain it is. And when you get to that point, Chris, I'll tell you, it, life becomes almost effortless where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, this is like weirdly too easy. Yeah. What's going on here? What's wrong? Something's going to happen wrong. And then you start thinking like that again. And what do you do? Scarcity mindset, bam, hits you on the head. You yeah. go back to Peru. It takes a few times. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I like that concept. I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I think from what you told me of your journey, you've been through those experiences, but uh, where, where life has thrust upon you a new identity or made you go back to basics with your identity. Uh, I've certainly had a few uh, points in my life, I forget what they're called, but where you lose everything. Uh, including what you thought was your identity. Like, I'd be like, I'd be like, well, as long as I can keep the BMW and the gold watch and the big house and the Canyon, um, I'm still me. And then you lose that. And you, it life's life will put you through these phases sometimes where it kicks you down to the core where you're just like, well, you know, sleeping on the floor isn't too bad. (laughs) 
Well, um, it's funny. It's funny you say that because when I was homeless, that's when it really, really yeah, hit me. And I yeah, said, one. <laughs> and yeah, and you, you I, I was, find out who you really are. Yeah. But you also find out all that shit that you were bugging about. Didn't matter. Didn't matter at all. Didn't matter at all. It, it just, didn't mean jack shit. Of course, I didn't learn that time. I took me a little more slaps in the head, <laughs> right? But um, you know, it doesn't mean. As a matter of fact, I remember sitting there going, "You know what? Yeah. I could get a job tomorrow, but I don't want to. I think yeah. I'm gonna stick around for a little bit. Yeah. I want to be a little more homeless." <laughs> yeah, I was really lucky. Fight Club, uh, the movie, broke right. me, and I was being broke at the time. I was I was very rich, and we had three different places. Uh, that I was living to, I was spending uh, every weekend flying to Vegas and living in Vegas and then flying back to Utah to work. We had an office in Denver I'd fly to in a place and I had two BMWs at any given port, airport at a time. Um, and I was living this crazy life and everyone hated me. Like all my friends hated me, all my girlfriends hated me. They always wanted my money. You know, it was, it was that old uh, stick song, as long as yeah. I'm buying, everyone's my friend, you know, sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I was living this life, and I'm like, this really fucking sucks to be rich. And, like, everyone starts suing you for bullshit. Mm -hmm. Then you're suing them, and, and you find that do you find that the rich pretty much sue each other as a mat? You know, there's no mafia anymore. You just fucking sue the fuck each other. You don't break, you don't bring kneecaps anymore. Uh, and, uh, I just went, what the fuck is this? And I saw fight club and that broke me that, you know, the whole, you know, I, I'd been buying all this stuff to impress all these people who didn't give a shit about me. And I'm like, this isn't working for me. I'm I'm the most unhappy I've ever been in my life. I was probably happier when I was born. <laughs> and uh, I, I didn't have that situation like that. But uh, what I had was was influence. So uh, I mean, I always I had really good money, but I had nightclub, hmm. right? And I had health health clubs, hmm. very high end health. Each each health club would cost about nineteen to twenty nine million dollars just to do. Wow. So it was, it was a PLC, like I said, from the UK. So people would say, oh, you're the owner. Oh, you're the, you know, that kind of thing, right? So, oh, hey, Stephen, hi. oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, and you, you're at the club and they're like, oh, hey, hey VIP yeah. areas open, yeah, that kind of stuff. As soon as that stuff was gone, yeah, crickets. Yeah, no one returns your phone crickets. calls. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't have any, I didn't make any phone calls, but still, they, they didn't call me to say, hey, yeah. what's going on? Where are you at? We haven't yeah. seen you. In, in, Once you're I mean, out of so money, I went to the you know, monastery. <laughs> I went to a monastery for eight months, didn't oh. tell anybody, mm -hmm. didn't pay any bills, didn't, didn't do anything, didn't tell anybody except for my, my family. Mm -hmm. And so I could have been dead. Yeah. No one asked. No one, no one, I, no, no one even like. That's when you find out, you know, how much the bullshit was. How mortal you are. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then you, you, you have an really, impact in the world and then yeah. suddenly you're like, oh my God. And then yeah. you're really down to your core. I wish I'd gone to Peru first because I didn't want, I didn't really need to go through the whole experience, but I really freaking learned a lot. And, uh, and then in 2008, I went through the experience again. I, you know, I built a mortgage over here 20 years and I'm like, okay, this is going to go. We had our courier company that was going and well, and I finally shut that down because it was just a liability. Uh, and then we had a more, uh, talent agency modeling acting agency. I shut that down because I was just annoying after, you know, it ran its course. It was fun, but then. You know, after a while, it just becomes really stupid. I can't imagine how a modeling agency could be fun. <clears throat> Uh, I was friends with Ron, <laughs> I was friends with Ron Rice from Hawaiian Tropic. Uh, and my girls would go see Hugh Hefner. Uh, and I had 400 of the hottest girls in Utah on my phone at any given time. Uh, I was, we, we could go to any club. 
I, I would actually get sick and tired of going to clubs five times yeah. a week because club promoters would call us and be like, hey, Chris, yeah. uh, we got a VIP. You're going to have security guards and everything. We just need to bring six chicks with you because yeah. no one wanted me to come to the club. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're yeah. like, we know you have the book. I was one of those guys calling you when I had my clubs. That's probably what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, I just have to be like, dude, I've been out five times this week. Yeah. And uh, yeah. We used to get free memberships to oh, the models dear. for the health clubs, and, oh, yeah. but they had to come at a certain time of day. Oh, did they? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> what a game! It was brilliant. I could I could have put my girls to work at your show, but we had we had touched by an angel at the time in Utah. We had Wormwood. I think I think it was Wildwood or Wormwood. And then back then there was like a huge union strike going on in California or some bullshit, and so everyone was coming to Utah to film. Ah, TV. wow. And so we, you know, we had actors, models, and I would throw these parties like four hundred people, two hundred people at my house, piss off the cops in my neighborhood. Um, and, uh, it was a lot of fun for a while. Uh, Ron Rice who ran Hawaiian Tropic, he, he's like, you need a bikini team. So I got a bikini team. Uh, we do like events and then Hawaiian Tropic would have their state, uh, you know, their state, like Miss America crap, they'd have their state thing. And then you move up to the national level. And, right. and so, um, it was fun for a while. It was, yeah, it was a good these time. are all things that we do that just sort of, I don't know, I guess we have to you know, wear our horns down or who knows why we do it. You know, there's a lot of stupid shit that I, I was in my thirties and, and, and I've been yeah. single all my life, but it was, uh, yeah. it was pretty interesting. It was, it was something that very few people get to go through and, you know, being called the Hugh Hefner of Utah was definitely interesting. Um, I really wanted to meet him before he passed, which is unfortunate. I, I really look up to him, but it's kind of weird now. I, I, I still know a lot of the girls and now there are these uh, upright soccer moms and, and yeah. they're, you know, they have four kids and, and they're living, you know, they're going to church every Sunday and stuff. And I'm just thinking, wow, I got some stories, yeah. but yeah, you know, I'm still friends with them. So we all hang out and, yeah. and, uh, and they're, they're just wonderful people. So, uh, it's been good. Well, that's but, awesome. You know, it's that's kind awesome. of the journey you go through. And, uh, so I didn't think I'd lose the mortgage company, but yeah, the, that recession in 2008 just took the legs off. That was everybody. amazing. That was amazing. That was and incredible. Was, and I was overseas too. Yeah. I mean, it's like a lot, a lot of, well, most of my income was tied to the mortgage bank. And of course we were investing in, in films. Mm-hmm. Jesus, what a mess that was. Yeah. Films. I've, I've yeah. had friends. See, I, I, that, that's how I knew about the films. We talked about this in the pre-show and investing in films because we had the acting and modeling agency. So we knew a lot of people in uh, right. Hollywood and I knew people that invested in films. And of course they would try to get me to invest in films and, you know, my casting agents and people that I knew, I, I was really lucky. I get to sit in sometimes on different auditions and stuff like that. I think we had as uh, a Bob Estevez that we had, who's uh, the brother of Martin Sheen. Um, and he would call me and he sounds just like Martin Sheen. He's done the, uh, yeah. he's done the, is it Joe Estevez or Bob? I was getting, no, it's, um, I think it's Joe. Um, is it Emilio. Something like that. Well, Emilio Estevez, the the name Sheen is a fake name. Uh, Yeah, I know. They're all Estevez's. I don't know what his name is, yeah. Yeah, it's it's either Joe or Bob Estevez. I believe it's Joe Estevez. But Joe is like a B-movie star. And when you normally hear Martin Sheen on like cheap commercials or cheap movies and stuff like that, in fact, he did the voiceover at the end of Apocalypse Now for Martin because Martin had a beef, uh, had a big falling out after his heart attack with uh, Francis Ford Coppola. But I would hear about all the stories. In fact, at one point we had... uh, Oh, who it was? Uh, the Kirk, um, Kirk Douglas. We had Michael Douglas's brother come up. I believe it was Sean, uh, Sean Douglas, uh, come up. And you know, so we had we had people from Hollywood coming up and and uh, 
and uh, you know we'd hear all the stories the stories of investments so yeah that's a that's a crazy business the investing yeah we were you know but back then you, know, you remember investment banks were a big deal back then so yeah. we would walk in we would just stroll into the israeli discount bank in new york city top floor you know and we talked to we talked for 20 minutes and get a deal done for like 75 million dollars for a slate for for quentin tarantino and, and lawrence bender and mm-hmm. it was like okay did you invest you know, in that one uh, no okay we got money for it. We oh, got did money you? for it. We didn't uh-huh. personally do it. Yeah, yeah. Because we, well, it was $75 yeah. million that was Now, that was the one that really fucking bombed, right? No, no. That was a slate. So a slate is when you do like anywhere from four to 10 to 20 films with one lump of money. Oh, okay. So like, hey, here's, this, here's, here's $75 million. Make five films. Okay. And typically they'll say, oh, we're going to make six films and they only end up making two. Yeah. It's all the money anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, I think that was when... That was way back when, but I think it was one of them, one of the films they were going to film was *Inglorious Bastards*, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that was a great. So movie. yeah, which is funny because they filmed that uh, in Berlin, where I was living at the time. Yeah. yeah. So I got to hang out with those guys, a couple of those guys too. And there's oh, actually awesome, a bar. Man. It was a bar cafe in Berlin named Tarantino. So guess where they went every night? <laughs> That's one way to get Tarantino to show. Up. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, I'm a, it, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. Yeah, who isn't? I mean, I I think he's brilliant. He's yeah. he's he's just one of a kind for sure. Yeah, I still have to go see uh, the new one. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it either. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. I think people are already talking PC and all this kind of bullshit. You know, why there's, you know, oh God, there's already people. And you can't go PC with his movies. I mean, he uses the N-word explicitly in all of well, them. Well, they try. They try. Yeah. Everyone yeah. tries. Everyone and, hates. You know, a lot of it's historically fairly correct, although you know he's yeah. going to go to the umpteenth level. I still oh, love Kill Bill. Like, Kill Bill yeah. was just... Yeah. It's one epic. of the greatest movies of all time. But yeah, I think he's one of the greatest producers, you know, Akira Kurosawa, um, you name it. So anyway, think, let's get... Uh, wait, what was, the, what was the one movie uh, with... Um, I always forget the name of it. Um, the dust From Dust Till Dawn. Is that, was, was that the one where they... Yeah, were with the, Dust Till Dawn. Like a real normal movie until they go out into the desert and go to the titty twister. And, <laughs> and just like some high turns into like a jungle. Like, yeah, that was the most film I ever watched, man. <laughs> Yeah, that that movie is so great. In fact, I think there's a photo of me somewhere with uh, one of my favorite actors. Uh, let me see if I can remember the name because I always forget his name. Um, he was the guy who was in jail for like murder and stuff. He's the um, Hispanic gentleman. He was in Heat, and uh, I'm looking at his picture right now, and I don't know why I don't have this tagged, but uh, I've got a picture of him. I got a chance to meet him up in Utah. He came up for a film they did up there. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, he was in that movie, uh, and yeah, just so many good stuff. But this is the yeah. journey you go on, man. You lose everything, you get your identity, and then you come back and live an interesting life. And and keep going. You know, it's you never ending. Him. It's never ending. Look, I talked to a guy. You know, I had, I had a mentor. He was ninety eight years old when he died, but he he started bodybuilding or weightlifting when he mm-hmm. was eighty three. Mm-hmm. Right, and so when he was eighty-three, then by the time he was eighty-seven, he won like seven gold medals in every in bicycling, running, rowing, the whole works. And I said, "Dude, what are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Said, Look, this is how you stay alive, man. You're in competition with yourself, and you're always growing and always learning. I want to learn new things and always grow new things. And he was comp- competing in bodybuilding at ninety-eight years old, and then when he uh, got pneumonia and died, I guess he was pushing too hard. Wow! But I mean, and the guy was agile, smart, sharp of mind. And he told me, that's, that's, that's how I stay sharp of mind. I'm always competing with myself. I'm always sitting mid and short, as a short, mid and long-term goals. And I'm, you know, and I'm always pushing myself to the next um, goal. So, yeah. I think pretty- maybe that's why people lie to themselves and they think they've got to lie to others. Is they, they think the competition is with other people, but it's really with themselves. <laughs> Completely. Well, that's again scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset will always bring you down, and that's exactly what what, what you you nailed it. 
Yeah. They think it's competition with others. Yeah. When you, it's, it's not, once you know your identity and your purpose, it doesn't matter what anybody else does because it all adds to the cake. That's the, whole, that's the beauty of it. And mm-hmm. people, people got to understand, let go of the outside just for a little bit and go on the inside and find out who you are for real, man. Yeah. I mean, the last goal-setting course, that's, you, you mentioned that. It's on my website under, under products. It's an it's a eight-week course. It's one video a week with one feedback a week. And that teaches you how do I find my identity and my purpose. Then you set 100 goals for the next 30 years. Mm. And so that's how you stretch out and you open your mind completely up to what it is that you want and you attach your identity to that. So then you're on a path and your, your eyes are open instead of focusing on that one thing. You know, people talk about, oh, I want a million dollars. What's a million dollars look like? What's it really look like? Yeah. Uh, you know, well, who, if you have a million dollars, it means you've got to be able to take tax on that million dollars. <laughs> you you got Exactly, right? You've got to put, you got to pay. Oh, I can't pay the tax. Or someone says, I want a Bentley. And then you get a Bentley and they can't pay the gas. They can't pay the insurance. Can't. Uh, so what they really mean is they want a lifestyle of someone who can yeah. afford a Bentley and can spend a million dollars. I had that problem. And, the first BMW I bought, I went to the gas station, tried to put regular in. And it's like, you got to put premium in this thing. I'm like, whoa, what did I just do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, over here they sold everybody diesel so i have all all of my beamers are diesel it's, it's oh, like wow. they don't yeah it's a turbo diesel so i got um i had the seven series when it first came out uh the new the new newer version uh and it was diesel and i was like this is so weird but it doesn't sound like the diesels in america it doesn't sound like a truck it's just very quiet is it dirty like with a diesel in america no no, no super particle filters that's the whole yeah. that's the whole trick the reason i feel is because you have to get that particle filter changed uh-huh. like every two or three years yeah. and that thing costs like three grand holy shit just for like it's like a catalytic converter but worse wow. so you yeah. have to sell a kidney to get that thing replaced yeah, most 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 people go to the shop and is blow it out <laughs> you know and you know for five bucks or whatever you know it's ridiculous so wow yeah and now now the european union is trying to ban diesel cars after they sold for the last 20 years they sold everybody diesel as the only viable solution it was literally of every BMW on the road, 100 BMWs on the road, there's three that are running on gas. Holy crap. On gasoline. The rest are running on diesel. And now they're saying, hmm, we're going to outlaw them. And, wow. And, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I know. Well, VWs will probably be okay because they were lying for like so many years. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah, they got a bus. Oh. Yeah. Well, it turns, out, it turns out the smart car, you know, the little smart car? Uh-huh. You know, that little like shoebox car? I had one and they said it's clean as heck. They found out it puts out more diesel particles than a truck. Yeah. Plus the yeah. batteries and the acid and stuff. Yeah. That stuff, it takes so many special minerals to make those cars and special yeah. stuff. It's almost more of a pollutant just on its own. Yeah. And Great. like here in America, like my friends will be like, I have an electronic car. You really, I'm like, you know, they burn coal to make the electricity, right? To charge that fucking thing. Not only that, yeah, but then they got to, but they got to mine and they got, I mean, and then of course all yeah. the batteries that they got to oh, get rid batteries, of. Batteries. We have a million. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we recycle them. No, because the components, you can't re, yeah, you can't, once, you can't take them apart and, and filter them out. They're once, they're one, they're one. Battery acid. Yeah. You know, and, and just, then we, and then what's interesting is what's going on in the world, not to get off where I, we're completely off topic at this point. We can go but, off topic. It doesn't matter. But, you know, China's not taking anyone's trash anymore. So yeah, we're having some real problems. They're sending ships back. Yeah. So your yeah. last goal-setting course found at uh, stephen-coon.com right. uh, teaches you to create a system for yourself. This is really interesting, these tidbits. I want to read these. Uh, okay. It shows you how to stretch goals outside of your comfort zone. and enables you to take steps towards your goals every day and transform single actions and routines internalize your routine so comprehensively that it becomes a habit sounds like a great way to uh, become accountable 
completely. And we also use what we call habit stacking from the from the the book um, um, Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, it's funny because I almost said another, but we also use. Uh, I'm sure you know the book Never Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, yeah. You, who you know who wrote it, right? Who wrote Never Split the Difference? <laughs> Chris. Oh, Foss. stop it, man. <laughs> The ex, the ex FBI, the ex FBI negotiator. We're we're friends. I like that. He served with a buddy of mine who's in the FBI. Please stop. Um, (laughs) Fucking guy hijacked my whole (laughs) SEO. Oh man! His real name's Christopher Voss. He did it just to steal Uh, all my rep. uh, Um, So anyway, uh, so uh, the last goal setting course teaches you to create a system for yourself. You be accountable and. yeah, what are you gonna do, man? That's crazy. Well, it's it's also it's the it's literally the last time that you need to have a goal setting course because it's not typically you set a goal and you reach it and yeah okay now what this mm-hmm. is a goal for the next thirty years these are your goals for the next thirty years. you're gonna have more as you go along but yeah. to sit down and actually take the time and we we bring you through this in our videos to take the time to to write one hundred goals down twenty five uh, for mm-hmm. each four areas of life and it's like wow um, I've just created my future. Mm-hmm. And then you start creating that certainty and that certainty. And then again, of course, you get to let go of the how. So, yeah, it's, um, um, it's incredible. And, you know, we just did it without any promotion, my partner and I. And like 65 people signed up in like two days. And when I go, okay, I guess we're doing this. Nice. And it just really went nuts. So now it's, it's an evergreen. So people can go on there anytime they want and just sign up and off they go. And it's super awesome. inexpensive. You can check so. that out at steven-coon.com. You know, when you said habit stacking, I was thinking of something completely different. I was thinking of habit stacking is where at, on your desk you have like a beer, a shot, and a line of Coke. <laughs> I thought that's what habit stacking was. Maybe, maybe in the old days it was. I don't know. But <laughs> I, need to get a, I need to get a rim shot sound effect somewhere on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, so habit stacking is where you take a habit that you already have and you mm-hmm. stack a new habit on top of it. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if you if you brush your teeth at the same time every morning and you want to journal after that, you mm-hmm. put your journal beside your toothbrush. That's a habit. Is that stack. where I want to sleep with my girlfriend and her mom and her twin sister? I don't. I, I don't Could know how you would say that. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the possible. Clearly, it's you're on my trying. mind. You're doing your best to pull me away, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. I habit stacking. When you said that, I'm just like, habit stacking? I think I went immediately to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah well, you know, <laughs> where else the old, does my The old habits die hard, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, habit stacking, I don't know. Is that where I take two coffees? Like, I do that every morning. I habit stack. I, I take one coffee and then a two coffee. Just <laughs> But no, um, I, it, so what, explain habit stacking because I clearly am missing. Habit stacking is this. So if you, if you want to create a new habit, just remembering to do it is really difficult. Yeah. So what you want to do is if you want to start listening to a guided meditation every morning mm-hmm. right, at 8 o'clock, what habit are you usually doing at that time? Mm-hmm. So what's the first thing you do? You make a coffee. Okay, you make a coffee. Put your MP3 or whatever it is that you listen to or your earphones right next to the coffee machine. So when mm-hmm. you come make your coffee, oh shit, that's right. I gotta do my, I do. I gotta do my meditation. Mm-hmm. That's a habit stack right there. That's all okay. it is. So you're or combining you the, you're combining the habits so they'll trigger or they'll, um, not sure what the right word is, enhance or they'll, the trigger. they'll bind trigger, together. Like, yeah, because yeah, that's why you're. So you yeah. have a, you have a you have a habit. You go to bed every night. Whenever you go mm-hmm. to bed, yeah. but you want to create a new habit to read ten minutes before you go to bed. So what do you do yeah. when you get up in the morning? You make your bed if you do, which you should. You take your book, you put it on your pillow, so when you go to bed at night, oh, I'm going to read. 
That's mm-hmm. habit stacking. That's so, what that's what I do. I in my uh, I want to make sure that I tell everyone I love them, and make sure that I'm consistent with that every day. So I always have my wife's number and the mistress's number right below each other, so I can call both of them or text geez, both of them, there, tell them both you, I love it. I'm just, just trying to be consistent there, here. <laughs> just trying to be consistent. This is the this is the only comedy on the Chris Vaughn show. <laughs> Slow brow, man. It's all blue. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh man, Stephen, right now is like, why the fuck did I do this? <laughs> No, no, no. What, what the hell did I get myself no, into? No, but I love your site. You, you're speaking. You're traveling. Well, I, I guess you're. I, I guess you travel and you do speak. But for the most right. part, you're trying to stay online, right. help people with their businesses. Um, who, who's, who's? If I'm listening to the audience right now, who's your client that should be reaching out to you right now and saying I need help from Steve? Right, right. Typically, it's a client who's making about uh, about 150k a month. About, I've been in business for at least three years. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the size, you know, because they sure. have to have some, some kind of success. They got to have, well, that's the impact that I can have. So I have the that's first thing true. I do, the first thing I do is I go in and do what I call immediate impact revenue. Mm-hmm. So I find dormant revenue. There's only three ways to grow a company. And that's a higher, higher prices, more clients and repeat sales. Mm-hmm. And if, and underneath those three ways to grow a company, there's 32 ways to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Most people are doing four to five to 10 max. Mm-hmm. So that means there's another 20 ways out there that I can make money for you immediately. Yeah. And once I do that, then I focus on the real problem, which you were talking about before, which is typically the leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. I take care of their perceived, their perceived problem first. Hey, Steve, the sales team sucks. We need money. Okay, coming in. We're going to do it. You made your money. Now can we talk about the real problem? Oh. And, you know, and I do it in that way so that they gain trust sure. first. And yeah. they're open to that, right? I, if, yeah. if, if I go balls in and say, look, you're the problem. Uh, then it's going to be it's not it's not going to be a very nice uh, time. So that's that's why I like those larger companies. And I work with smaller companies, but they have to be able to sustain it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be able to sustain it means they have to be able to work with me a bit longer than a company that's already mm-hmm. established. Yeah. So my my uh, you know our our humble alpha program is a year, uh, but that's coaching and everything. My consulting is four to six months only. Unless you really want to go longer, and then it drops to a small retainer where I'm like a doctor. You just call me when you're in trouble. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's very effective. We work very hard in the one hour that we we speak to each yeah. other. So um, and and I mean I've I've worked with uh, one company in Texas who was a roofing company, um, and we took him. Uh, he made his first million now. I found 150k in the first hour mm-hmm. of dormant revenue. In the first hour, we were working together. There was a there was a, uh, um, a health club chain. Uh, there was a marketing agency. There's market had a had a hundred million dollar ad spend um, working with them. So it's it's very weapons companies. Yeah. Uh, uh, just anybody who needs that next level, they're either stuck on a plateau and they can't grow, they can't scale. Mm-hmm. Or they're really in trouble and they need to turn around. They're the two companies. The the times that I usually found when I looked at companies that were struggling, a lot of times they they never thought out of the box and they've never. It, it seems really simple to me and you, but they've never said, "Why do we do things this way?" It's because and, they don't know what they don't know. You don't know what you exactly. don't know, and that's and people yeah. say, "Oh my God, how could I never think of that?" Because well, yeah. you didn't know it. It's not yeah. your fault. You just don't like know. One time, one time, someone handed me the keys to a company that was going to file bankruptcy at the end of the week. They weren't going to make their payroll, which was going to throw them into bankruptcy, or they were going to. I think the out was to go bankruptcy. And I went in and pretty much stayed awake for forty-eight hours, going over their books, their operations, everything. Uh, took control of it, and uh, and. Uh, they were they were spending like so much stupid shit for stupid shit. Um, it was crazy. I mean, they were just the, the stuff they were wasting money on yeah. was crazy. And yeah. I literally went through, cut it all down, cut it up, 
brought in better vendors yeah, and, and really streamlined it. We made payroll at the end of the week. They never filed bankruptcy. Uh, and we turned that company around. And I remember meeting with one of the owners later and was like, how the hell did you do that? And I'm like, you guys are doing so much stupid shit internally that I just had to cut it all out down and then re-strategize it. See, that's the beauty of what I do. Yeah. Is I don't look at the financials until I've made them more money. So I literally make revenue. I don't cut mm-hmm. costs. Mm-hmm. And so when I walk in, they're like, oh, you want to see my P&L? Nope. What? No, I don't want to see P&L. If everything stays as it is and this is where you want to go, I'm going to get you here. That's mm-hmm. where we're going to go. And from then, we're going to look at you. And after that, we're going to look at the P&L. Mm-hmm. And what that does is like, wow, this guy really wants to give. Matter of fact, um, when we come up with, a, with, with an exact number, I guarantee my cost back in revenue. Wow. In the time that we, that, we, that we work together. So whatever you pay me and the time we work together, you're going to make that back in revenue, not by cost cutting, but by new revenue. There you go. That's how confident we are. That's how confident that's, we are. That's making awesome that sauce. That's yeah. awesome stuff. It is. It well, is. sounds good. So if you're making that kind of money, you got that kind of company and you, you know, I, I always say uh, hire consultants before you need to and yep. hire advice, get, get outside your head and stuff, but build your board and all that stuff um, so that you, you can get out because the last thing you want to do is be trying to find your own ass in the darkness when, <laughs> when the shit hits the fan and, you know, you get the class action lawsuits are coming yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, that's the last time where you're going to be like, well, maybe should we think this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, look, you know, it's, we work with, I, I work with smaller companies who are veterans, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot, like I said, a lot of veterans, they get cut prices and that kind of stuff, but I, I don't really want to promote that because it's the veterans thing is not something that I'm really making money on. It's something mm-hmm. that, that I'm doing out of the goodness of my heart. And I really want to make this happen for these guys and gals. Um, but if there's veterans out there that, that are in that position where they're like, look, man, you know, we could really explode if we just knew how to do this out of the other. And of mm-hmm. course they can reach out, you know, so awesome, it's not, awesome. I'm not, I mean, I don't say no to anybody and I'll put it, put it to this way. Anybody who calls me or writes me, they're going to get, they're going to have a conversation with me one way mm-hmm. or the other. It doesn't matter how much you make. It doesn't matter how big your company is. And typically I, I, if I turn you down, uh, cause we don't fit together, I will, I will give you someone who is in either your price range or in your niche or whatever it is that you need. So don't have this. People shouldn't have fear. Just, Oh God, that's, you know, whatever. Just, yeah. just give me a holler. I'm, 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 like I said, I give my awesome. only intention, the, my only intention in this world and every meeting that I have, and even with you today, it's to create value. There's no wants, no expectations, no wishes, no nothing. It's just my only intention is to create as much value as I can in every meeting mm-hmm. and every, every chance encounter that I have. And that, my friend, is a secret to true, to, to true happiness, if you ask me, because if I don't have any expectations, unless I verbalize them in a business, for instance, I'm never disappointed. And, and, and what I've learned from you today, Stephen, is that you're just trying to be significant. <laughs> <laughs> I learned this. I see. Yeah, I learned. Good, I learned. Yeah, you have stuff. taught me and my listeners something that I, it will be awesome. of high value to me. Anything more we need to know as we wrap the show, Stephen? I think we covered a lot. And thank you so much we for did. going over for going over to overtime with me. I, you know, I'd like to give your 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 you know listeners who stuck around this long a big applause for you know hanging in there and listening to us. It was they uh, are awesome. a lot of fun. And if you didn't, well. You, you're not going to hear it anyway. Danny Trejo was the guy from uh, Danny Trejo, from of Dustled course. Dawn. Yeah, yeah, Danny yeah. yeah. Trejo, there's a That's who I was thinking too in my head, but I couldn't think of his name either. Yeah, right? he's such a great actor. A really yeah. wonderful guy when you meet him. Like, I've heard that would, about You him. would think that he was, you know, he'd kick your Badass. butt, but he's yeah. so meek and so mild. And and uh, I wouldn't want to piss him off. 
of course, yeah, I've seen the movie. Wouldn't want to but, test it, right? Yeah, uh, I've heard that about him. I've heard that from somebody else who met him. This, he's just the nicest yeah, guy. I, I watched that movie Machete, so you yeah. know, I don't want to piss him off. But yeah, I've seen that movie. Great actor. Was really? it like a Machete Two or something? <laughs> it was like something like yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Well, there shouldn't have been um, the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes either. That's true. So. Too. There's a lot of movies uh, that shouldn't have been. But anyway, thanks for being on the show, Stephen. We certainly appreciate it. Be sure to check on at stephen-coon.com. Stephen, you want to plug your Twitter and Facebook, LinkedIn, or anything like that? Yeah, um, Twitter is Stephen E. Coon. Um, Stephen E. Coon, as in Eugene. Um, my uh, LinkedIn is also Stephen E. Coon. Um, yeah, you'll find me. Just put in Google Stephen Eugene Coon, and you'll find me in, in every platform. Awesome sauce. Well, thanks to my audience for tuning in. Uh, I, I learned some really cool things here. I'm, I'm probably going to go back on the tape and listen to some of it and catch up on some of the books you recommended and things like that. We'll look forward to your book coming out, I believe, in November, correct? Yep. November. All right. And thanks to my audience for tuning in. Be sure to check in every day. Uh, subscribe to the show. There are seven podcasts at thecvpn.com or the Chris Voss Podcast Network.com. You can go to either or and get those. Be sure to recommend the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, dogs, cats, mistress, mistresses, pool boys. <laughs> You know, get everybody to listen to that show, man. Play, just play it at home for the dogs and cockroaches when you're at work because you want them to be smarter as well. Uh, I don't know why you want cockroaches to be smarter. That makes no sense. <laughs> I'll let to. you. I'll let my audience square that one. They're like, why did he say that? <laughs> He's, There must be a reason. Anyway, oh I'll let you guys ponder that till the next show. And there might be an answer or there might not. So thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate my audience. And we'll see you guys next time.